that song is very, very fitting for what we are about to read. We are continuing in the book of Acts. We are in chapter 13 right now. And beginning in verse 4, we're going to read through verse 12. And it's really in this story that we do see the power of the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 13, verses 4 through 12. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Thus ends our reading of God's powerful word. May all who hear it find that they are on the straight paths of the Lord. If you were to take a gaze at the church today from 30,000 feet, what you would discover is that some of the, the fastest growing churches are in nations where the gospel is being repressed, where, where governments are trying to shut down any form of gospel communication. I mean, consider the nation of China, where the church is growing at, a, at an astonishing rate. And it's growing despite all the pressure that is coming from the, the communist regime. Now, how in the world is, is the gospel going forward in a nation like that? In a place where underground churches, when they are discovered, are shut down. In a place where pastors are, are being arrested simply for speaking biblical truth. In a place where Christians are being sent off to, to labor camps. I mean, one would think that in a place like that, that the, that the church would be small, right? That there would be very few converts. And yet just the opposite is happening. Look, look at the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 33. Here we see the words of Jesus after he had just warned his disciples that he was about to leave them and go to be with the Father. 
but he also promised that he wouldn't abandon them. Uh, he wouldn't let them fend for themselves. He was going to send to them his Holy Spirit. But, but he also warned them that, about how they were going to be treated by the world, how, how they were going to be persecuted and even killed for his name's sake. But even though that was the case, they were to take courage. But look at what Jesus said in this verse. Look at verse 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Take heart. I have overcome the world. You see, what you have to understand is that Satan has been actively trying to shut the mouths of those who proclaim the name of Jesus ever since the church had been founded. And the reason he has been doing this is because he is at war with Christ. And yet he, he can't touch Christ, can he? And so what does he do instead? He attacks Christ's servants. He strikes at those who, who try to glorify the name of Jesus. Those who, who bring good news to all the lost souls that, that don't know Jesus. And Satan isn't alone in his attacks, is he? For, for he has been using his, his worldly servants to carry out his wicked plans. And yet, what does Jesus tell us? Take heart. I have overcome the world. You know what that means? It means that there is no plan that Satan or his servants can conjure up that will gain victory over Jesus. And that's because Jesus is just too powerful. He, he is too strong. And no matter how hard they try, no matter how crafty their schemes are, they cannot overcome the one who rose from the dead and now rules from heaven above. And it is the power of Christ that we see in our scripture for today. For, for we see the, the plans of, of one of Satan's servants being thwarted by, by the strong and mighty arm of Jesus Christ. But before we look into, into that, let's first ask ourselves, how, how did we get here? How, how did the gospel message come to Cyprus? How, how, how did the name of Jesus come to this island out in the Mediterranean Sea? If you remember from last week, we had just seen the calling of, of Barnabas and Paul. Yes, from here on, here on out, I'm going to be using the name of Paul instead of Saul. I don't know if that bothered any of you. Um, but the, the, the reason I'm doing this is because Luke has chosen to do that in our passage for today. Now, now the name Paul was simply Saul's Latin name, a name that would have been given to him as a Roman citizen. And I believe the reason that Luke begins to use it now and will use it from here on out is because when Paul interacted with a, a Roman leader, 
that was a natural thing for him to do, right? Would be to introduce himself using his Roman name. And throughout the rest of the books of Acts, we're going to see Paul interacting mainly with Gentiles, mainly with Romans. And so I believe that's why Luke makes the switch right here. But, but, but getting back to the point, both, both Paul and Barnabas, they were called by the Holy Spirit to go on this missionary journey, right? God wanted to use these two men to bring the gospel to other regions of the world. And so these men were sent by the church in Antioch, if you remember, and they were on their way to wherever the, the Spirit would lead them. And the Spirit was directing them to Cyprus. And so it was through the calling and the sending of the Holy Spirit through the means of the church that the gospel came to Cyprus. That's what the missionary life is. The Holy Spirit calls, the Holy Spirit sends, and he uses the church to do this. And we talked about this last week. And yet the missionary life is not for the faint of heart. And that's because those who work for the kingdom will inevitably come into confrontation with the forces of evil. And in the case of Paul and Barnabas, it didn't take long before we saw such an attack, right? And let's, let's jump into our text and see how this plays out. Look, look at our first two verses. Look at verses 4 and 5. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit... They went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. Again, Luke, Luke is just reminding us one more time that, that it is ultimately the Holy Spirit who sends a man. Yes, he uses the church to do so, but, but he is the one who puts the calling upon him. He is the one who sends and the Holy Spirit had sent these two men to Cyprus, to that large island in the middle of the Mediterranean. And notice who it was that went with them. Again, we see this, this man, John Mark. This is the same John Mark who, who had left Jerusalem in order to go to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas earlier. And I will reiterate again what I said last week. That, that Paul had a, had a habit of bringing his disciples with him in order to get them real-world experience and to train them up. The, the, the hope was that one day these disciples, that men like John Mark, might lead their own missionary journeys. And so John Mark continued to travel with them in order to learn from these men. And yet when they arrived on the island, Luke tells us that they landed at a place called Salamis. Salamis was a city on the, the eastern coast of Cyprus. And if you take a look at the, the map, if we can pull that up real quick. There we go. I don't know if you can read that, but Salamis is, is right there on, on, the, on the eastern part of the island. And it makes a logical sense that that would be their starting point as they were sailing in from the east, right? Um, and so these men, they, they wasted no time once they had landed, for it was in Salamis where they began their work. 
And did you notice who, who they went to first? They went first to the Jews, right? And this also was a common practice of Paul. No, no, no matter where he went, if there was a Jewish community in that place, he would go to them first. He would go to their local synagogue and preach Christ to them. And in fact, the way, the way Luke words it was that he and Barnabas proclaimed the word of God. They proclaimed the word of God. And I think those words are crucial because that is the primary function of kingdom work. It is to speak the word of God, to speak the gospel, the, the good news of Jesus Christ, to proclaim the salvation that he brings through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. Look at, look, look at Romans chapter 1, verse, verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Too many in the church today are confused as to what the gospel is. I've heard many, in my lifetime, I've heard many professing Christians speak words like this. Preach the gospel and use words if necessary. Ever hear that one? Preach the gospel and use words if necessary. And the idea is that somehow our, our actions will speak louder than our words, right? And so these people believe that the kingdom of, of God will grow through their own good deeds, through, through their own acts of kindness. Well, let me tell you, that, that is a muddled understanding of what the gospel is. Because the gospel is not what we do. No. The gospel is what Jesus did. It is a message that needs to be proclaimed. A message that is rooted in historical fact. That's all right. You're, you're fine. That's what the gospel is. It is, it is a message that we need to open our mouths and, and voice. Because people need to hear it. They, they need to hear that, that God became a man. That, that he lived the sinless life that, that we could not. And though he was innocent, he died a criminal's death. A, a death that we deserved. Yes, Jesus died for our sins when he was on that cross. And then they buried him in a tomb and sealed it shut. And yet three days later... What did Jesus do? He, he rose from the dead, bringing life and victory to all who turn from their sins and trust in him. And he now rules from heaven above, for he is the king of kings and lord of lords. And there will come a day 
as we sung earlier, that when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. For when he returns, the dead will be raised and brought before the judgment seat of God. And only those who have repentant faith in Jesus Christ will escape the wrath that is to come. And yet there is a reason we call it good news, right? For those who do escape, for those who, who have looked to Jesus to find salvation, they will spend eternity with their king. And that, my friends, is a gospel message. It is a message that needs to be spoken. It is a message that needs to be heard. And that's why Christ has called us to preach. And so it's, it's not about our good deeds, though, though we should be doing those, right? But it's about opening our mouths and proclaiming God's word. It's about sharing Jesus to those who have never heard. And this is exactly what Paul and Barnabas were doing on the island of Cyprus. They were preaching Christ to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. And yet they didn't remain in Salamis. For Cyprus is a huge island, right? And there were other towns that needed to hear about this Jesus just as much as Salamis did. Look, look at verses 6 and 7. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was the proconsul. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Now, now the distance between Salamis and Paphos is 112 miles. And so Paul and Barnabas, they, they needed to cover this, this great distance that they were going to go throughout all the island proclaiming the good news of Jesus. If you look at the map again, yeah, good, good call. Um, you, you see a, a possible path that they might have taken. You, you can see all the cities that, that lay along the coastlands where Paul and Barnabas most likely stopped. And so a journey like this, with them pausing in each city, proclaiming the word of God, it would have taken them weeks, if not months. And yet finally they made it to Paphos, which happened to be the capital city of that province. And when they had gotten there, Luke tells us that they were, they were summoned by the proconsul, this, this man named Sergius Paulus. Now, what do we know about Sergius Paulus? Well, not much, except for what Luke has shared with us. I mean, for one, he was a proconsul, right? He was a proconsul of the island of Cyprus. Basically, he, he was in charge of both the civil and the military matters on that island. And so he was a man who, who wielded enormous power. But what else does Luke tell us? He tells us that this man was intelligent, right? Meaning he was a thinker. <laughs> he, he, he was a person who, who weighed the facts before he made a decision. And intelligence, that's, that's a good thing to have if you're going to be a leader, right? If you're going to rule, it's good to be smart. 
Well, somehow this, this ruler had gotten wind of, the, of these messengers of the gospel, Paul and Barnabas. Uh, I'm sure after going from town to town, spreading the message of Jesus, that these men had by this time made a name for themselves on that island. And perhaps this was the, the reason that Sergius Paulus wanted to, wanted to hear from them. For any intelligent leader would want to know what kind of teachings were being spread among his people, right? What is this message that you are spreading throughout my island? And you claim to speak the word of God. Well, let's see what you have to say, and I will be the judge of that. And so he's doing his due diligence, right? As a leader, he's trying to protect his people from any errant teachings that might be out there. And yet this inquiry, what did it do? It presented an opportunity for both Barnabas and Paul as they were now able to proclaim Jesus to one of the most powerful men on that island. Praise God, right? And yet not everybody was happy about what was going on. That Paul and Barnabas were given an audience with the proconsul. Luke tells us that they came upon this other man named Bar-Jesus. Bar-Jesus simply means son of Jesus, and Jesus is, is the Latinized version of Yeshua, so Joshua. So this guy was a Jew. He was the son of some man named Joshua. Um, but Luke tells us also that he was a magician, right? And that he was a Jewish false prophet. Now this isn't the first time that we've seen a magician in the book of Acts, is it? Remember way back when, when the apostle Peter went to Samaria and, and there was Simon the sorcerer? You remember? And uh, when the gospel was proclaimed in Simon's hometown, this man turned from his wicked ways and put his trust in Jesus. Now he had a lot to learn and Peter had to rebuke him swiftly when he tried to seek out the power of the Holy Spirit through purchasing it with money. Um, but yeah, it's not the first time we see a magician in the book of Acts. And yet where Simon was a Samaritan, this this Bar-Jesus was a Jew. And where Samaritans were pretty lax on their practice of the dark arts, the, the Jews typically were not, at least not in Israel. And yet the Jewish community on Cyprus was surrounded by a pagan culture, right? And so most likely this had a great impact upon the beliefs of the Jews that lived on Cyprus. I mean, think about it. Even, even though this man was a magician, he, he also claimed to be a Jewish prophet. Now, now, how do these two things go together? I mean, these things shouldn't mesh at all. Yet on Cyprus, somehow it did. And this just speaks to the influence that the culture had upon the Jews who were living on that island. There, there were probably many of them who were steeped in, in pagan practices of the Greco-Roman world. 
And while I'm sure there were still numerous Jews who would have rejected any form of magic, on Cyprus, I'm guessing they were probably in the minority. But is this any different than our society today? I mean, how many people are out there, people who claim to be Christians and yet, and yet are ingrained in the pagan practices within American society? And I'm not just talking about the occult, but about the easy acceptance of American cultural norms. Norms that go against the commands of God. Norms that even go against, against nature and the way that God has created things. It's as if people believe that, that, that somehow Christ and worldliness can mix together. That, that the one doesn't preclude the other. And so they, they, they have formed this, this pseudo-Christianity. A Christianity that conforms to their own base pleasures. How it is today was how it was on Cyprus. There was this intermixing of the, of the Jewish faith and the cultic religions of the Greeks and the Romans. And one thing that we have to understand is that this practice of magic, it was a, a common thing in the Greco-Roman world. And these magicians would often become powerful, powerful people because they claimed to have this ability to, to manipulate the unseen realm. And they would do so in order, in a couple of ways. One, they could grant favor to the ones who are seeking it, or they could place curses upon their enemies, right? And so for the right price, you could either improve your own life, or you could cause damage to someone else's life. And yet the most powerful of these magicians were often employed by those who wielded true earthly power by kings and governors, by proconsuls and senators. And this was the case with this bar Jesus. He may have been the most powerful magician on that island, and thus he had become the right-hand man to the proconsul. Bottom line, when we look at this man's life, what, what was he about? He was about himself. He desired power. He desired influence. You see, as a, as a Jew, he knew that the practice of magic was forbidden. Yet, for some reason, he just didn't care. Because it was magic that had gained him the position he desired. And he would serve the dark powers of this world in order to increase his own status. But now there was a threat to his power, was there not? As this message of Jesus had come to his island. But not only that, but, but now his boss, this man who had given him so much authority, had asked for an audience with these two Christian missionaries. I mean, if they could persuade the heart of the proconsul, then what would that mean for the proconsul's magician? How could someone who is serving Jesus also have a magical advisor. Let's, let's see what happened next. Look at, look at verse 8. 
Baalimas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Here we see another name for this bar Jesus, this name of Elimas. And this name Elimas is derived from, from the Aramaic meaning powerful. And this was probably a name that, that this man took for himself, similar to how, if you remember, Simon the sorcerer took on the name, the power of, the, the power of God that is called great. Now, I don't know if this was a common practice among magicians at that time, but, but taking on a name that exuded strength was definitely a way that these men could gain fame and notoriety. You know, when I, when I see something like this, what it reminds me of is, is, is like the WWE, right? Where, where you see all these different wrestlers taking on these fake names to make themselves sound tough. I mean, who are you more afraid of? Hulk Hogan or Terry Bollea? The Rock or Dwayne Johnson? How about, how about The Undertaker, right? Or Mark Calloway? You, you see, these men take on these names to make themselves sound more opposing, more menacing. And I'm sure that this bar Jesus took on the name Elimas in order to convey to the people that he truly was a powerful, powerful magician. And yet with the coming of the message of Jesus, the true king of all creation, this man's power was being tested. And that is why this bar Jesus, this Elimas, opposed these missionaries and sought to turn the proconsul away from the faith. I, I hope you see the irony in all of this. I mean, this Elimas, this one known as powerful, was now battling against a true power. He was battling against the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And yet, for some reason, he would not back down. He, he would try to convince his master not to listen to these men. For I'm sure that he knew that if his boss had come to the faith, if he believed in Jesus, if he bent the knee to Christ, well, then this man, Elimas, would be out of a job. For if the proconsul became a Christian, then he would no longer be in need of a magician by his side. But that's what Jesus does, is it not? He, he challenges the authorities of this world and the presumed power that they have. This is why even today you see the world trying to stifle the message of Jesus. It's because they know that if the gospel wins out, then they lose. They will lose their authority. For people who, who bow the knee to Jesus will no longer bow the knee to them. And that's why we see a concerted effort today to ban the name altogether. Whether it's in the schools or, or in the workplace or in the public square. Those who are in positions of power do not want to hear the name of Jesus uttered. And yet the Holy Spirit will not allow those who oppose Christ's kingdom to succeed. 
not even this Elimas, this one who calls himself powerful. Look at, look at verses 9 through 11. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Here we see Paul demonstrating to this Elimas, this one who, who called himself powerful, what true power really looks like. Having been led by the Holy Spirit, Paul let this magician know exactly what God thought of him. I mean, listen to these stinging words. You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Now there are four indictments that Paul places upon this man. One, that he is the son of the devil. As a magician, this, this Elimaz has, has tapped into the dark powers of Satan. And now he was doing Satan's bidding by speaking against the good news of Jesus. Against God's salvific word. And so this Elimaz was just like his father. Striking at the, at the heart of God's word in order that nobody might be saved. Two, Paul then claimed that this Elimas was the enemy of all righteousness. For he was, what was he doing? He was trying to withhold the righteousness that comes from Christ alone in order that his proconsul would still be under the judgment of God. Three, this man is full of deceit and villainy. And that's because just like his father, the devil, he must use lies to, con to conceal the truth of the gospel. He, he uses underhanded tricks in order to hide the reality of Jesus Christ. And finally, four, that this Elimas will not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. For he was trying to manipulate he was trying to lead astray his proconsul, pro this Sergius Paulus. He was pointing to a route that led away from the gospel and away from God's salvation. And he was trying to block the path to Jesus Christ. You see, the, the, the Holy Spirit knew exactly who this Elimas was. He, he knew the spiritual state of this bar Jesus. And now he was unmasking this man in front of everyone in that room. He, he was calling him out for his wicked ways. And yet God didn't stop there, did he? For not only did he reveal the true nature of this man, but, but then he also proclaimed his divine judgment upon him. And what did Paul say? The hand of the Lord is upon you. The hand of the Lord is upon you. In other words, God is about to pour out his judgment on your head. 
And that judgment is this. You who call yourself powerful will go blind. You will not see the sun until the Lord sees fit to allow it. And when you think about it, this, this punishment, it, it could have been much, much worse, right? In fact, I believe that it was, it was out of God's mercy that he didn't strike this man, man dead right here, right there. And yet it was a fitting punishment as well, wasn't it? Because it left this powerful man in a state of helplessness. Allowing him time. Time to reflect. Reflect upon the revelation of his true identity. Reflect upon the judgment that had fallen upon him. And to reflect upon the message of Jesus Christ. And the fact that there was still hope for even him. Yes, perhaps this bar Jesus might repent. Perhaps he would turn away from his deceiving ways and follow the straight paths of Jesus Christ. And I'm sure that was the hope of the Apostle Paul. This should be our hope as well. That, that every false teacher, that every enemy of the gospel, that, that everyone who's trying to hinder the message of Jesus, that they would repent, that they would turn to Christ and receive God's salvation. And we should pity these folks because they have placed themselves under the heavy, heavy judgment of God. When you attack the name of Jesus, you have put a target upon yourself. Well, Luke tells us that this divine punishment happened immediately, demonstrating both the great power of Jesus Christ as well as the frailty of this bar Jesus. Whereas before he thought himself to be this powerful man, Elimas, now he, he needed to be led by the hand in order to go anywhere. And Christ had humbled this man removing him from his powerful position by taking away his sight. And yet this judgment isn't the end of our story, is it? We have one verse to go. Let's, let's see what happened next. Look at, look at the end of our passage. Look at verse 12. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. This judgment wasn't just for bar Jesus' benefit, was it? For we see that it had a mighty, mighty effect upon this proconsul as well, this Sergius Paulus. For he saw the power of Jesus firsthand validating the words that were spoken by both Paul and Barnabas. And what did he say? He, he, he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. The judgment is astonishing in itself, is it not? But he's astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And so the message rang true to him. 
It's not signs and wonders that save. It is the word of God that speaks to our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why this Sergius Paulus, that's why he ignored the counsel of his magician, this bar Jesus, and he believed the gospel. He, he turned to the Lord in repentant faith. And this, my friends, this is the power that Christ has. For, for he is sitting upon his throne and he will not allow his kingdom to be thwarted by wicked men. The, the powerful, powerful message of Jesus, it will not be stifled. It will reach the ears of every person whom God has chosen to save. And yet for all those who continue in their opposition of the gospel, they will soon discover that the hand of the Lord is upon them. That the judgment of God will come swiftly and suddenly. For the true power of this world is Jesus Christ. And in this, my friends, you can take heart. For you who have been called to be Christ's messengers, you can be confident that your King, Jesus Christ, truly has overcome the world. He will not be defeated. You will be victorious through him. Let us pray. Father, we come to you boldly knowing that your son has gained victory over all of our enemies. That Satan and his worldly minions hold no authority over your servants. And so we pray for courage. We pray for strength. In order that we might go out into the world in order to proclaim the name of Jesus. This can only be done through the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we ask that you would fill us we pray this in Jesus' powerful, powerful name. Amen.